Welcome to Open Your Hands, conversations on craft and vision in poetry. I'm your host, Zach Zai. I'm here with poet, um, artist, um, Minnesota football coach, uh, Rodrigo Sanchez Chavarria. Rodrigo, welcome. So good to be with you. Hey, Zach. How are you? Thanks for having me. Man, it's great to be with you. Um, so I had the pleasure and privilege of, of reading your poem, um, Icarus, um, just just like a week and a half ago. I sent you the the audio link of kind of my read and um, an interpretation of the poem, like kind of like an opening interpretation. And the show is meant to be call and response. So I thought a great way to, to start things off for our listeners would be to have you, the poet, um, Put that out into the world. So are you, you down to do a little reading for us? Yeah, most definitely. That's one of the things I I love to do. So um, so let's see here. All right. Um, so this is titled Icarus. When I was nine, I remember playing soccer with a plastic black and white ball in a dirt field we call playground where nothing seems to grow except dreams where only love was spoken in coordinated footwork which glued the world to our feet we directed the comet where to go to gracefully follow the faces of the moon stars stitching constellations of our dreams into the seams of the world glued to our feet we jumped over broken glass left at parks where people sang out their heartbreaks into color glass megaphones with hopes that the world would hear them. We couldn't imagine hopes being imprisoned in bottles, so we broke them to let them breathe, used the shards to make the outlines of the battlefield because we battled our limits and nightmares. Every game was an odyssey and each player their own Icarus, trying each time to surpass the inconceivable. We dribbled, ran, and felt at peace with the wind at our backs, displacing every fear we had up to that point. Nothing mattered more than to drive the ball to the back of an invisible net, to raise your hands towards the sun bellowing the most of celestial songs as tribute to a child's game. The world forgets for one second the things that bring us pain, to feel this immensely wave of joy. Nothing mattered at that moment. Nothing mattered. Nothing. That is football to me. Thank you, Rodrigo. That was beautifully read and with such passion. Um, so I've said a few things about it already that you've heard. Uh, maybe before we get into you know some of the nitty gritty of this poem's craft and 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 kind of line, lines that that really stood out to us, um, would you mind sharing the genesis of this poem? Kind of what it, what inspired it and how it came to be. Yeah, this poem literally, I think, started probably um, my second year in the MFA program. So that has to be maybe six, seven years ago. 
and 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 um, I was starting to just start writing. I was getting into essay writing, and I had recently um, written essays that were getting good feedback, and it was something I was exploring. But as as always, as a writer, you you want to try to write something that you could be passionate about. And and to me, the sport of of football, aka uh, soccer, is just. Um, it's immense. It was part of my upbringing. I'm not saying that I was a very good player, but I understood the release that it brings not only to the people who play it, but to the people who watch it. And I wanted to time capsule that in a sense and transparently uh, compare it to like parts of my innocence, right? Because play is considered part of innocence, part of childhood. But play also in, in writing is, is part of like this uh, ongoing conversation with the words and with the story. And the dialogue is always important. And I've always been a person that likes to push boundaries, whether that's uh, metaphorically, whether that's visually, or whether that's just, you know, uh, being able to flip the script or the understanding of something that's so well known. Hmm. And I... I was looking for the connection between uh, the child's game and 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 just something that's so so innate and eternal into a lot of this world's um, position on the game, right? And I think I think um, referring to the the Icarus uh, tale. The Icarus story, it, it really it really is a story that um, is all about, as you pointed out, the fall, right? It's about mm-hmm. the consequence, I think. Um, but to me, I think one of the things that we all want is, 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 is to fly in a sense, right? Mm. To be able to spread our wings and move and, and and shoot for what we wanted, right? Like dreams. I think, you know, I, I think of that a lot, and I think of, of of flying or taking taking flight into observing that. And I think one of the best ways as a father, I've pointed out that I can capture that is is through reliving innocence moments of my kids and remembering when I was a kid and what brought me the happiest joy because I think joy was part of that, and I think. I wanted to incorporate that, but I also wanted to incorporate what that where that happened to me, right? Um, uh, in the school in Peru that we played, we had to go out during our recess. You know, no one of us could really afford, you know, a a leather ball, so we bought the plastic ones, right? Like the ones you play kickball with, type of thing. Runs to sell at the market for or at Target for like you know two dollars or whatever, right? We pulled up our money and we played with that. And we played in dirt fields because in Peru, at least in the Lima aspect of it, uh, green pastures and just greens overall is is at times more absent than it is uh, than it than it should be. At least when I was growing up. Now mm-hmm. it might be a different conversation, but green spaces are not as adamant. So we always played near open sewers. <laughs> we played we played wherever we could, dirt fields wherever we could be is like. Um, anything that we could use to make um, our field is what we would do, and we would play. And I have other stories of where I'm getting chased by by um, 
rats and things have to play in soccer because that's what happens sometimes but like yeah. even 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 in my uh, my life in peru like um my parents would put a uh they put metal bars on our windows in the living room and our door because during sunday um our our door and pretty much our window were used part of the goal from the games that were happening wow. on the street so like it's 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 really hard not to talk about football and talk about life hmm. so uh just like the ted lasso reference on there you know football is life if no one's watching it but yeah it's it's it's, it's really ingrained in that matter that you know football is life and like i said i wanted to play with my stories and the understanding of of, of suffering uh, but also bring joy because um, the sport brings a lot of joy to people. And sometimes those people are not in a good place and to be able to relive or forget about things that are happening for 90 minutes or so, um, you know, at some time it's own therapeutic session, right? Hmm. And so I, I I wanted to to do that and I wanted to push and, and the idea of Icarus, right? Icarus is a spot Odyssey, right? It's it's a well known it's a well known tale, but everyone, like you said, is always focused on the fall, and I wanted to be able to be focused on the flight, hmm. because in flight is when we I feel that we are most uh, at not peace, but most in the aspect of reaching for our dreams, right? And um, and we don't know what those are unless we fail, right? Hmm. You know, so so to me, Icarus, I've always I've always seen it as, as a as a story about youth reaching, trying to trying to do something that they wanted to do and then failing at it. But um but at the same time, you know, though that doesn't mean that the, the failure is 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 up to who who really wants to process it, right? Was it failure falling or was there failure at all, right? His goal was to to fly, right? And and be close to the sun. And and there's just so many different things that I when I when I and I, and I love that story. It's just that I wanted to be able to think about how people in their own journeys also embark in some sort of odyssey, right? And I wanted to pay um attention to that through that and uh, i think it was it was uh it was well received i thought you know it's fun it's always fun writing something you're you're passionate about and trying to describe it and 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 i thought you know um this was a good piece to do that it with no i i'm thank you for that that rich background and I'm definitely sharing this Rodrigo with my students and I, I know they're going to they're going to be deeply engaged with it. Um, and maybe that's a, a good segue to think about, you know, the next generation in this poem as a kind of handing on, because I, I know you're a coach. Um, you know, you just you just talked about your, your fatherhood. Um, maybe could you talk about ways um, that, you know, Maybe you as an artist interact with, you know, you as a dad or you as a coach, like kind of how those, how that maybe the mentorship or the, the fathering piece fits into, you know, your integrated wholeness as a person. 
You know, I think that's a good question. I, it's, it's, it's truly is a balancing act. Um, when to wear your parent hat, when to wear your artist hat, and when to start the aspect of mentoring. And, and it doesn't happen without having someone else do it to you first, right? Someone be able to, to, to be that catalyst for you to understand how things should be and how you want them to be, right? Like someone hands you the blueprints, right? It's like, you know, someone hands you a Rubik's cube, right? And then, and then either you can follow the instructions or try to get lost trying to figure it out yourself, right? What will you find more enjoyment in, in some sort of a sense, right? And I think for me, I, for my parents, um, you know, the importance of, of family, but of reliance and setting, uh, being, being a person of uh, that my kids could talk to, which um, you know was something that my parents so well weren't wasn't so deeply inscribed in them um, because of uh, you know when we first moved over here it was all about work, right? And um, I think that that that's part of it. Um, seeing some of the things that I wanted to accomplish if I was a father and trying to just um, portray those in my kids and i'm about to find out if it worked or not because i have an 18 year old going to college wow so, so that's uh congratulations yeah so that's a that's a thing and so um so you know you can do so much and, and guide them and and talk to them and give them good values and then have them make their own their own journey and it's okay to make mistakes make them understand that mistakes are, are part of life but mistakes are also our teachers and i think that's part of the thing that you know that that kind of transforms into coaching right you have all the tools or you have the idea where you want to kids to develop um in in, in certain skills but you also want them to understand that it's okay to make a mistake it's okay to do something wrong as long as you understand that when you're in that same situation, you, you choose a choose a different path, right? You choose a different way of approaching that situation. And and you, know, you learn to recognize it, right? And have fun while you're at it. We all play we all play a child's game because it's fun. That's mm -hmm. what we all love to be able to do, is just to have fun. It's like it's when you take that element out, um, it really becomes more as a business aspect of it right you know hmm. where it comes to that but like for me high school sports has always been um the time where when you get to make long-lasting friendships or at least networking aspect of it um you know in such a short amount of time and so i think that's important you know because um it just has a much longer impact factor specifically to the communities you decide to engage with and i think that's that's what i get out of it you know i get out of the enjoyment of the development to enjoy that you know i'm trying to mentor other not only players but also people who might they want to be a coach mm -hmm. or, or you know, just try to try to give them the abilities try to give that and i'm open to all that like we have you know alumni that come back and um want to help out and when you want to help out, one of the things that we do is just let them know and say, listen, you've seen what practice looks like or tryouts look like for this week. Uh, by the end of this week, I want you to come up with a lesson plan 
something mm-hmm. you want to work on. And when you think you want to implement it next week, just let me know. And then we'll let you take over and we'll support you and you run it. And that's the only way you're going to be able to, if you provide that kind of support to people and that kind of stuff, that's, at least that's the way I like to do it. And there are other organizations that do the same thing. Um, but it's just, you know, my philosophy in that sort of sense. Like, I'm always learning. There is no such thing. No one can be a a a veteran, awesome coach without always aiming to learn and get better at certain things. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I mean, as a, as a teacher, I, I resonate with what you're saying very, very much. And yeah, there's nothing more rewarding, uh, you know, or I teach at Cristo Rey than like having, you know, I've taught here now, it's like coming on 12 years, but there's some of my former students who are now teaching at the school and that that's an incredibly moving thing. I mean, and I, I imagine that's similar to what you're saying, where you have players who you've coached who are now alums of the program and then returning to pay it forward. That's, that's it's, it's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes to my own kids too. I mean, uh, Issa, my oldest, I coached her in the club level most of her young life. Mm-hmm. And now she, you know, she's, she's she this past summer and this past year all she's wanted to do was just you know start you know the intro process to coaching and, and enjoying being around kids and teaching them and eventually you know um when she decides to make that jump to you know to be able to have their own team and and go through that and you know that's just like i said that's just what it's about i mean like if there's somebody else that wants to continue in those footsteps. That's great. If there's not, there's not. But just know that you've had that impact and it's visible and people know it. And I think sometimes for me, because I don't know, maybe because of the way my brain works and I'm an introvert, I don't really see the my impact until someone else brings it up to me. I just mm. feel that that's my duty. You know, it's like, oh, that was my job. I did it. All right. I'm going to I'm going to go and try to figure something else. And so sometimes you know, um, like I say, I write about life, and that's one of the things that 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 really is. That's part of my life, and I wanted to be able to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It and I, th- I think one of the, I, one of the things that I, I love uh, about this conversation is, yeah, I, I get that chance to just to tell you, Rodrigo, like you really have resonated with with my students and um, you and I know last year you had the chance to to um, correspond uh, in writing with some of my students who who listened to some of your spoken word pieces um, and those really moved them and I know this will do the same for them as well um, and maybe for for you know for my future students who might listen to this podcast. Um, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind maybe talking about um, how this poem, um, Icarus, maybe fits into some of your other work. Like what are themes that maybe it, it holds in common and maybe things that distinguish it um, from some of your other work? I, I think mostly like it, it, fill, it fills in the, the passion and um, the familiarity with like family, my family values and my life experience as a, as an immigrant child, um, yeah. because that's the memories that I'm talking about in this poem are memories that are considered part of the homeland. Right. And it also, um, you know, talks about, you know, that aspect of freedom, right. The aspect of feeling free and finding joy, those two things should be kind of like equated together in a sense. And so, um, 
you know, a reflection of, of my life experience, which I said I talk about, but also a life experience that other people can see themselves in. And that's one of the themes that I write about a lot. Um, other one is fatherhood. Other one is just uh, my own personal experiences that I've been through while living in Minnesota, whether mm-hmm. that be through poetry, whether that be through essay writing um, in uh, the essay that's on the good time for the truth. Um, you know, I think those are the things that people mostly mostly can see that, you know, because talking about those things is letting people into your personal, personal life. And, and, um, I think there is, um, there is a thing worth doing if it's willing to, um, you know, engage people and let them know at the same time that they're not the only ones going through those type of life experiences. Right. So plus writing is fun. So the one thing I I agree. Like, besides coaching, you know, writing is fun. Yeah, it's it's. I, I love being the aspect of play when um, uh, when I was introduced to the idea of um, you know uh, of duende, right? Mm. And the idea of play within the words and making a, a piece of writing breathe and give it enough space so it could it could change if it needs to in some sort of sense and just uh change in the aspect of the the, the environment that it's being used in I, i've always been that and i like to push boundaries oh. i always do i think it's, it's 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 fun to be able to poke at something that you people always might not be happy about but at the same time learn from that situation and make something out of it mm-hmm yeah, no, that makes total sense. One of the the last poet I interviewed, Aisha Kamara, she's a spoken word poet from here in Minneapolis. And yeah, she was just talking about how poetry, it's generative, like the the poems almost beget other poems. Um, but it sounds some, something like what you're talking about here, like the, the poem is a live organism and, you know, you, you don't fix it in place. It's like it's talking back to you, it sounds like. No, it's totally true. I mean, I think that's that's one of the realizations that improved my artwork was to have that understanding between the body of art that I'm creating and um, the understanding of what some of the rules are that I'm okay to break with, right? I think that's that's uh, I think that 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 drives you, that pushes that innovative and um, imagination part of it forward, right? and um, it also makes you want to test things. All right, Rodrigo and I are back. Um, so one of the things I think it'd be great it would, to, to do would just be talking about um, this poem uh, in relationship to a world of poetry. Um, so I alluded to it in my opening episode, um, Icarus and the myth of Icarus, which we talked about earlier, um, is really part of a rich poetry of allusion and something definitely, you know, my students and I talk about in class. Um, but there's a famous poem by W.H. Auden um, about the fall of Icarus and there's like a painting and in the painting like everybody's just kind of going about their business while Icarus falls into the sea um, and that's a poem I remember you know reading in college and, and thinking about and there's also one that I looked up when I read your poem Rodrigo by William Carlos Williams um, 
And so, you know, one of the things that I was reading, it was just, just seeing and being struck by, like I said, uh, and like we were talking about earlier, um, the way that your poem um, surprises the reader with the way that it approaches that myth. Um, and we were just talking off offline outside of the recording just about kind of your um, relationship to reading and books and, and your father. And so maybe if you want to share a little bit, you know, about that and your own um, relationship to kind of putting your, your poem and your poems um, in relationship to other poems that are, are written and out in the world. That, that'd be fun for us to talk about. Yeah, so when I was growing up, um, my dad is, is a big literature person. Um, and here's a funny story that um, that proves to that sense. When in, in Peru or in Latin America, when let's say someone owns a house, in this, in this case, my grandfather, um, he owns the first floor. And then instead of like in the United States where you build out, yeah. uh, in Latin America and South America, you build up. Hmm. So the second floor was my dad's third floor was my auntie's and then the fourth floor was still trying to be developed in a sense but it was a roof and always change so when we stayed with my grandfather my dad is always been a sense of like a quiet demeanor but also very um you know if there's something that needs to be fixing he'll try to fix it himself and he does it because he wants to learn um whether he fails or not that's a different conversation right <laughs> but um he, he literally what he did is he repurposed this 1920s 1930s style refrigerator you know the big old ones that you that you've seen in like hello beaver type of shows or okay. that type of things so it's just, just huge they're deep yeah. right and he repurposed it to be a bookcase wow right because he had so many books um and and not enough book space and he felt that book spaces were never deep enough to be able to get all the books that he had. <laughs> yeah. So we kept it in the second floor. And then, you know, when we had, when I would have friends over, you know, they'd be like, can I get something to drink? Yeah, it's in the fridge. So they go to the second floor and they opened up the fridge and there'd be rows and rows of books. Yeah. <laughs> and then I became the weird kid that, that, that has a fridge with with books in it instead of, you know, you know, and, and I think that's, that really set the conversation, the tone um, of, of the, uh, the, the ability to read. I, I enjoy reading. I'm not an extreme avid reader. Um, like my kids are, my kids, you know, my kids, my, and they, they read more than I do. And that's thanks to their mother um, because they, she loves to read as well too, but it's just, you know, being able to kind of just you know be part of a different world was uh, it was, was part of what really attracted me to reading and as i got older um reading became more of, a, of like um an idea of play right um it's like oh i like what they said here how can i um how can i do something similar right and then i would take that style of writing and try it out and if didn't fruit to anything I was happy about, move on to that thing, but accept that they that 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 there's that option of play. And I think that's the the thing that I find most joy in is just um being able to play with words, right? And I and, and be able to 
do things with words that are related to stuff that I like or appreciate, you know, or enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that's, you know, where the classicals don't do that, right? They mm-hmm. Sometimes the classics are, are more uh, about telling a story from a different perspective that's generally the... A part of a general audience and that's not my story my story is not part of the general audience mm-hmm. i'm not part of the general audience uh and i'm okay with that because when someone finds my story and relates to my story or, or feels that there's that extra connection to me that that's the people who i'm writing for hmm. right um and i think that's that's my experience being a spoken word artist my experience being a, a writer and an activist is it's it's like it's that story that really connects you and my job is always to connect the story but also to implore the person that connects with it to write their own because i didn't get to where i am writing my own stories if it was for someone else telling me to write mine hmm. yeah and i think that's that's kind of like the the duty of a writer uh, whether it's an unwritten rule or not whether it's understood or not is to to we, we we might write for ourselves in some sort of a meaning, but in the reality, we are we are writing so someone else can write for themselves. Hmm. And I think that's probably the source of that. My mom's also um, she's lived a, a lovely life. Uh, you know, she's been active, and she took me everywhere. She would take me to rallies. She would take me to things. She would check the cultural cultural shows, theater. Um, and just being able to be around art and seeing how it can, it portrays life, but it also, uh, it, it, it portrays a, a way of self-expression that, you know, um, the classics in some sort of sense don't, don't really engage or try to embrace. You know, and I think, and I love some of the classics. I really do, and I understand that's part of the system that you have to learn them. But at the same time, like, you know, who, wh- what would this world be with, like, if you know, more, more classrooms are being taught about people telling about their stories? Like, you know, I think it'd just be, it, we'd be in a much better shape in a sense of understanding some of the things that are happening in our world. And um, yeah, I mean. That's it. And like I say, like my favorite thing to do is write haikus. Mm-hmm. As sunny, as, 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 as funny as they can be, as abstract as they can be. But that's like my my uh, my favorite toy in a sense. That's mm-hmm. why I play mm-hmm. with a lot. Yeah. And I think sometimes I do that um, in the world of Twitter and I try to um, use that tool where I would enjoy it. So I use it around soccer and I've gotten to meet people who are part of the soccer industry through that because of the way that I can use my craft and, and pinpoint different things and, and kind of take a snapshot or of certain part of the soccer world doing that. So that's, that's, that's the fun thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you are, and I want to make sure I get this right. You are a member of the Palabristas. Is that right? Yeah, we're actually celebrating our 20th year anniversary this September. I think it's, I want to say, is it uh, 7th, but I can I can totally find that out. <laughs> no, that, I mean, we'll check it out. But can you tell us a little bit about, like, who are the Palabristas? Um, what, what, what are you guys all about? So Palabristas is a collective of 
um, Latinx identifying folk um, writers, poets, activists um, that choose to choose the power of the word as a, as a tool for self-expression and artistic mm. expression. So, um, so I think we've been around, geez, you know, 20 years. I think the first time I got uh, exposed to this was to a good friend, Emmanuel Ortiz, who also at that point um, was um, in, in talks with Dessa Darling because they just hosted uh, one of the big slam national competitions. And during that slam competition, they were supposed to be like, a, at that point it was called a Hispanic open mic. And so mm-hmm. a bunch of other people went and they were like, hey, look, there's brown people that are writing. <laughs> we should get together. We should keep that going. And that was the idea. The missed idea was just, first of all, have other people that look like us um, have a writing circle in a sense, right? And then it grew to whatever we wanted to be. At one point, we were performing as a as a as a group. Um, other times, we were doing activist work. Um, and and the membership is not exclusive, right? If you you make Palabrisas what you want to make it, and um, I think that's where the reason that it's uh, been successful for or is still around for this this amount of time is because that fluidity. Right, we are. We understand that things change and things will change, and so um, as long as someone's willing to take that uh, that change and, and funnel it through through art, and we, we will always be there. So, to check out more of Rodrigo Sanchez Chavarria's work, follow him on Twitter at rsc spoken word, or listen to his new EP "Don't Let Them Erase You." at rscspokenword.bandcamp.com And thanks to my cousin, musician Dustin Coppertoons Jensen, who has generously allowed me to use his song Speed of Understanding as introduction, interlude, and closing music to this episode. To find out more about Coppertoons, go to soundcloud.com slash coppertoons.